thanks for coming to worship here in the house of the Lord today. It's a, it, uh, it is an important week for both parents and students because school starts, I think, in all the schools here in Dalhart School gets fired back up here again this week. So let's see here. Students, how many students are in the room? How many of you are, have to go back to school? To, okay, yeah, a bunch of you. Teachers, any teachers in the room? I know that there's actually a bunch of teachers in the room. Yes, yes, okay, good. And then parents, raise your hands. And give me a hallelujah. It's the first day. Yes, I knew, <laughs> I knew AJ. I knew AJ was coming with that. Yeah, it's an exciting week. I, uh, we need to be in prayer for uh, all of our families and teachers and students as they go back to, uh, to school this week. I also want to congratulate Mr. Lynn Pretorius. This last Wednesday night was our annual Grill Master Competition. And uh, our panel of distinguished judges chose Lynn's ribs um, out of all of the ribs to... Uh, earned the blue, well, actually, we don't have a blue ribbon, but Len won the apron, and he will have his name placed on the trophy that you passed in the lobby as you walked by here uh, on your way into the auditorium this morning. Now, I mean, you can judge the theology of our church however you want to. We have two trophies, and they aren't for things like prayer or Bible reading or like the most spiritual. One is how good you can cook, and the other is how good you can shoot. Those are the trophies we give out at Liberty Baptist Church. Len has his name on both trophies now. And is Danny the only other person to have his name on both trophies? So Lynn and Danny are in a category all by themselves. And you can either be encouraged or discouraged by the fact that you and Danny are in rarefied air. Okay, good. <laughs> good. Very good. All right. Very good. Yes, okay. You've got your Bibles open there. And in just a second, we're going to read through 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Many of us have been taught that when we have to deliver bad news to someone, when, when you have to deliver bad news to them, or, or if you have to confront them about something, that you're supposed to employ the Oreo technique. You know what I'm talking about? When I say, the, okay, like heads are nodding, right? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about taking one side of the Oreo off and dunking it in milk. And uh, That actually has nothing to do with Oreos. What I'm talking about is where you sandwich between praise the confrontation. So you start the conversation encouraging them and praising them and giving them good news, and then you bring the heavy hammer of the bad news, and then you conclude the conversation with some good news as, uh, at, at the end of it as well. Start with something good and positive, then you confront and then you end with something good and positive. And as we start reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, many of you know the book of Corinthians pretty well. And you actually know that a big chunk, like the majority of what Paul is doing in the book of Corinthians, is he's confronting the church at Corinth regarding problems and issues that they need help with. And when we start reading the book of 1 Corinthians, we might be inclined to think that Paul is employing the Oreo method. I, now, he wouldn't have called it the Oreo method because I don't think Oreos were invented at the time of the Apostle Paul's writing the book of 1 Corinthians. But let's do this. Let's read, let's read, verses, let's read verses 1 through 9. How does Paul start the letter to the church at Corinth? He says this, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So Paul is saying, I'm writing a letter. And actually, there's someone who's kind of helping me write this letter, this brother named Sosthenes. Who's the letter being written to? Well, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now listen to how Paul talks to the church at Corinth, like his, his, how is he starting out? How is he leading out? I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, Paul's making reference to the spiritual gifts that he's going to talk about later in verses in chapters 10, 11, 12, 13. The, the, the speech and knowledge, this is speech gifts and, and knowledge gifts. We would call it tongues and prophecy later in the same book. 
Verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you're not lacking in any, there it is again, spiritual gift. You have them all as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now flip to the very end of the book of 1 Corinthians, this first letter that we have recorded. You'll remember this is not the first letter Paul has written to the Corinthian church, but it is the first one that makes it into the scriptures. The very end of chapter 16, we'll just start in verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and, Pris- and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss, right? I mean, this is Paul saying, hey, everybody loves you. Everybody says, hey. I, Paul, write this greeting in with my own hand, probably because a lot of the rest of the letter had been actually written, penned by Sosthenes. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. There's a little bit of a grumpy line there. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. It kind of seems like Paul is using the Oreo technique on the church at Corinth. I'm going to start with some warm fuzzy. I got 16 chapters of heavy news to bring to you. And then, hey, man, I love you guys. Kiss each other. Everybody says, hey, I love you, and, and, and like that. Is Paul using the Oreo technique, or is Paul doing something very different here? And I'm going to argue through the course of this sermon this morning that Paul's actually doing something very different than just warming them up a little bit and then bringing the heavy hand and then warming them up again here at the end. The main point this morning is is so simply stated that I'm afraid it'll just be like religious words. I want to unpack the reason why I think this is the main point of the passage that we're looking at this morning. Paul is for the Corinthians, and we should, for ourselves, thank God for the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Paul is thanking God for the grace of God in Jesus Christ for the Corinthian believers. We should thank God for the grace of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ. And so this morning's sermon title is simply, Thank God. You see these words in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Do you see the main point of the sermon? That's, that's right there. That's because when we preach and we preach faithfully, the main point of the sermon should be the main point of the passage. That's what good preaching is. We open the Bible, we read the Bible, we make the main point of the passage, the main point of the sermon. That's my effort here this morning. And what we will see here in this passage together this morning is this. From start to finish, from the start of your Christian life to the finish of your Christian life, it is all by God's grace. Every moment of it is by God's grace. Often we think that we start our Christian life by God's grace, that God saves us by His grace, that the gift of God is this free gift that I receive by grace, but then I have to work my tail off and cross my fingers and hope not to mess up badly enough as to lose my salvation or be kicked out of God's grace, or maybe maybe I can kind of like just barely cross the flop over the finish line at the end and make it into heaven somehow. Brothers and sisters, from the start to the end, Every moment of your Christian life is 100% and completely by God's grace. And the reason Paul has to tell the Corinthian believers this is because they're just like us and they don't believe it. And many of you believe it intellectually. You assent to that's true. And then our lives play out so like we just want to think, yeah, but that's just too easy. That's too much grace. That's too much mercy. That's too much gospel. Like, I know how life works. There's no such thing as a free meal. There's just no such thing as something that could be that free, that could be that good, that could be that full of grace. Like, Jeremy, that's kind of scandalous. I like that word in relation to the gospel. When you really understand the true significance of the gospel, you realize, whoa, like it's it's really that good. Brothers and sisters, from start to finish, 
the only one that you have to thank and the one that you have to thank for everything is the grace of God that comes to us in Christ. You're going to see, we're going to see together this morning that your salvation, your sanctification, your preservation, you're like, what on earth is he talking about now? And your glorification are all 100% by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. All four of those things. And all four of those things are really clear here in this passage. We'll reference a few other passages, but like Paul is laying this foundation. Now I am getting ahead of myself in my own notes. Remember last week when I drew the church at Corinth and there were these three pillars that Paul was addressing because there were three really big problems in the church at Corinth. And we talked about unity, charity, and what was, uh, there was a third one. Now I can't remember it. What was it? Purity. That's right. Thank you. Someone over here said purity. Unity, purity, and charity. And they were all built on the foundation of what? What was the word across the bottom? The gospel. So Paul is starting right here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians and reminding them that from start to finish, it is all by the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. This message that Paul is rehearsing here at the beginning of his letter, I don't think it's just the first layer of the Oreo cookie. He's a spiritual... Uh, He's laying the spiritual ground and the spiritual framework, the spiritual foundation for the practical correction that he's going to be bringing through the rest of the book. We will constantly be coming back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, as we walk through the rest of 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing this letter to these brothers and sisters here at Corinth. He's writing, interestingly, there in verse 1, it says, and our brother Sosthenes. Now, there was a guy, there was a ruler of the synagogue back in Acts chapter 18, verse 17. There was a ruler of the synagogue named Sosthenes. He was beaten. We don't know for sure um, if this is the same guy or not. If it is the same guy, he, he has become a follower of Jesus Christ now, and he's here with. So whether he's that same Sosthenes, I mean, who knows how many Sosthenes are running around uh, the empire at this time. But we do know that Paul was mentoring other men for ministry and would have had someone along with him. And Sosthenes very likely was someone, um, there's a really fancy uh, term, and emanuensis, that's someone who writes letters for someone else, okay? So you ever see the old movies and like the boss is walking around in his office and there's the the secretary taking dictation, right? And he says, "Uh, dear so-and-so, and she starts scribbling away. Maybe this is how Paul is writing the letter to the Corinthians and he's pacing back and forth in the tent that he made or whatever. And Sosthenes is there and he's like, okay, write this down. And Sosthenes is the one who's writing it down. Then Paul gets to the end of the letter and he says, I write this greeting in my own hand there at the end. That would make sense as to why he would have. I, don't, I think all that stuff's cool. Um, so I'm throwing it out there for the handful of you who care about those sort of nerdy things. Okay? Now, for less nerdy things, let's walk through these four aspects of our salvation that we see clearly that Paul is driving home and reminding uh, the, uh, the people, the, the church here at Corinth, uh, regarding the good news they, that he is thanking God for, and he wants them to thank God for. Point number one, thank God for the saving <clears throat> grace of Jesus. Thank God for the saving grace of Jesus. Jay, let's just flip through all, <coughs> excuse me, all four here real quick so those note takers can see where I'm going. Point number two, thank God for the sanctifying grace of Jesus. Point number three, thank God for the preserving grace of Jesus. Point four, thank God for the glorifying grace of Jesus. Okay, so we're talking about saving grace, sanctifying grace, preserving grace, and glorifying grace, and they're all right here in verses one through nine. Paul is saying this. Look again in verse four. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace, because the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying this. Man, I I am so glad that you're a Christian. These are people that are giving Paul a hard time. These are people whose behavior and life are creating problems for this spiritual leader. He's getting bad reports on their behavior from other people. And do you know what's fundamental to how Paul is thinking about them? Think about how this would radically change the way you interact with other Christians that you butt heads with. His his fundamental way of acknowledging his relationship with these people who are pains in the neck 
is, is his saying, I am so glad, I am truly thankful that God has made you a Christian. I'll be honest, there are some Christians where I've, I'm sure, I hope I've never said it out loud, I don't think I've ever said it out loud, but I've thought, I wish they weren't, I wish they weren't one of us. I don't like them. They cause a lot of problems to me, right? I see some of you smirking. Some of you are the ones that I'm thinking of right now. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. You may have all kinds of problems and even be a source of problems for me. This is Paul talking here. But I am sure thankful that God has saved you. One author writes this. He acknowledges the significance of the way Paul's thinking. Not only the churches which bring Paul unmixed joy, such as the Philippians church, the Philippians, they invite regular thanksgiving on Paul's part, but even the troublesome Corinth church for the very existence of their faith as Christians outweighs any personal inconvenience or disappointment or any anguish <clears throat> which their less than appropriate attitudes and lifestyles bring them. One other author observes, to delight in God for his working in the lives of others, even in the lives of those with whom one feels compelled to disagree, is sure evidence of one's own awareness of being the recipient of God's mercy. Do you know why God can see the mercy, excuse me, why Paul can see the mercy of God in the lives of those rascally Corinthians? Because he's aware of the mercy of God, the saving grace of God in his own life. Brothers and sisters, we need to be aware of God's wonderful grace and forgiveness and mercy in our lives in order to extend that wonderful grace and mercy and forgiveness to the lives of others. Paul is calling these people, he's calling them, he's calling them Christians. Look in verse 2. He's thanking God for the saving grace of Jesus Christ in their life. Verse 2, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified, and we're going to come back to that word in just a second, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does someone get saved? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, so Paul is saying, I am giving thanks to all of you who have called upon the name of the Lord and been saved. Sometimes, sometimes the word call can get a little bit of bad press, right? Look again in verse 2. There's, there's a, there's a, the word call is used a couple of different times here. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Who's the first person doing the calling in verse 2? Who's the first person calling? Jesus, God. God is the one who is doing the first calling here in verse 2. And again, sometimes the word call gets bad press, but, but brothers and sisters, this, this idea of God calling his people is all throughout the Bible. In verse 1, Paul, what's the second word? Called. He's called by God to be an apostle. In verse 2, he's acknowledging that those who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are called by God. Look in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. In the Old Testament, Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldees. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is called to be a people of God. Paul is walking down the road to Emmaus, and he is called to be an apostle. Brothers and sisters, when you are saved, what God does in you is similar to what God, Jesus did with Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. Somebody said, don't go getting him out of there. He stinketh. And God says, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, and someone who was dead is made alive again. And that's what happens to you and I spiritually when we go from being dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2. God calls us so that we can call on him. We aren't down here calling on God. Romans tells us that there's none that seek after God, that we are weak and ungodly and sinful and enemies of God. Go put a cell phone in the hand of the person who's in the casket and ask them to call God. They, they won't, and they can't. 
But when God calls to the person in the casket, Lazarus physically or you and I spiritually, in that moment there is life. And the call of God isn't something for you to be afraid of or to debate. It is something that is clearly taught in Scripture. It's something to be treasured. It's something for us to rejoice in. So God calls us to be saved, and the way that we become children of God is given in this passage as well, that we call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look again in verse 2. Those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three words there, three names there. And if you've been here any length of time, you've heard me talk about this before, but I'm going to talk about it again. Lord Jesus Christ. That was not, that wasn't his name. My name is Jeremy Scott McMorris. Jesus' name wasn't Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not how that title works. In those three words, there's two titles and one name. Let's just walk our way through them in the order that Paul writes them here. First of all, the Lord. That's, that's a title. That's describing, that's describing uh, the mastery, the lordship of Jesus God, Jesus is the master. You're, you're calling on him to be in charge. If you want Jesus to save you but not be your Lord, then you don't get him as your savior. You don't get to pick and choose. He is the Lord and savior. So first of all, he is called Lord. Secondly, his name is given, Jesus. And this is, this is his name. My name is Jeremy. His name was Jesus. Jesus' name was Jesus, and it's his given name. He was a real human being who was also fully God. And the identity of your Savior must be this Jesus. You must call upon him to be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ, and the word Christ is another uh, version of the title meaning Messiah or the anointed one. He is the promised one. He is the anointed one. He is the Savior. He is Lord and Savior. This Jesus is both Lord and Savior. And to come into his family means you turn from your sin, you turn from your way, and you put your faith and trust in that God-man Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. It's not by works. It's not by being a good person. It's not by going to the right church. It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by calling upon the name of the Lord. And Paul is saying, look, I give thanks for all of you at Corinth who have called on the name of the Lord along with, along with everyone in every place who calls upon the name of the Lord. But Paul is recognizing, look, there's the church universal, and there's the church local, and I, I praise God for, for both. That you have been called, and notice that when God calls, he does call us not to be saints individually. Look in verse 2, right in the middle. Called to be saints together. Called to be saints together. And I just we keep hammering it because the Bible keeps hammering it. You are called to a group of people. Lone Ranger Christianity, there's no such thing in, the, in God's word. You are called together to be saints in a location together. So first of all, Paul is giving thanks that these people are called into the family of God. Here's a helpful illustration, right? Like called to be saints together. If you're a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, you, you are a Boy Scout and a Girl Scout like anyone ever, anywhere who has ever been a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. You're part of that global, eternal Scout family. But you're also, you're also part of a local scout troop. Is that what they're called? Troop? Yep, okay. You're also part of a local scout. I was going to say tribe, flock, um, gaggle. No, you're also part of a local scout troop to be part of the family. And there's no such thing as like, I'm a lone scout. I'm not part of any scouting organization. I'm not any, but I'm a Boy Scout. But I'm not part of the Boy Scouts, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not part of the Boy Scouts International, or I'm not part of the, I'm not part of a local troop. I'm just gonna, well, like you might go camping and have knives and tie knots and do sort, but like you're not part of the, you're not part of the Scouts. And brothers and sisters, to be called into the families, to be called into. To, to be saints together. Look again in verse 9. Called into the fellowship of his son. Paul is giving thanks for the saving grace of Jesus. Point number two, Paul is giving thanks to God for the sanctifying grace 
that comes to the Corinthians through Jesus. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, in my Bible, um, and I've got a, kind of a, like a wide margin Bible here, and off to the side of verse 2, I have the word salvation written, and then I also have the word sanctification written. And then down at verse 8, I have the word preservation written, and down underneath um, below that, but still next to verse 8, I have the word glorification written. Because I want, every time I come to this passage, I want to remind myself of sanctification, salvation, preservation, glorification. If you're a Bible writer, you know, have at it. Thank God for the sanctifying grace of Jesus. We see here in verse 2 that one of the things that uh, Christ does for his people is he sanctifies them. What does the word sanctified mean? That's not a word that we use a whole lot. It means to be set apart, to be made holy. When Jesus saves you, he doesn't just save you and leave you, right? Like we aren't, we don't just get like this eternal security thing and then like Jesus is just like, now just tie a knot and hang on. It's going to be rough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and spend my time trying to save other people and you're on your own until, until the end. No, he saves you and sanctifies you, sets you apart to be someone who is holy. And as Christians, this idea of, of living a holy life, we, we, we can fall off the path in one of two directions, right? We, we can think that being set apart means that we have to be so set apart that we're just weird for the sake of being weird, right? And we're not going to do this list of things because other people do those things. And so we're going to be different by not doing this random group of things. And we are going to do this random group of things. And, and we're just going to kind of go around and everybody's going to know that we're Christians because we're weird. And, and that Look, you might be weird. There are weird people in here, but you're just weird. Like, and I'll put myself in that category. But that, that's not what being holy and set apart means. There's also a group of people who just look at it all and go, ah, you know what? Grace covers everything. I'm just going to live however I want to because grace is going to cover everything, and I don't have to be holy and sanctified and set apart. No, both of, those, both of those things are wrong. Look, what God is doing when he's sanctifying us, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, I think, this is the best, I think this is the best passage explaining spiritual growth. Matt referenced it in his uh, Sunday school class, uh, I think, two weeks ago, and I have a feeling he'll get back to it even um, as we continue uh, in his Sunday school class. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What that means is when I look at Jesus, I just step by step by step become changed more and more and more and more into his likeness. Now, does that mean that as I grow in Christ, I will grow kind of a long beard and wear a, a toga, right, and, and uh, refuse any form of technology because Jesus you know, would you, I mean, I'm wearing contacts right now. Jesus didn't wear contacts. Does that mean like I'm going to have to somehow give up any kind of prescriptive lenses because Jesus didn't use them? And like, where, where do we draw lines here? If, if, if it's that kind of becoming like Jesus that we're talking about. I actually, brothers and sisters, I think our growth in holiness actually has very little to do with external things. And I can promise you this, it doesn't start with external things. I have met people who don't have televisions and who dress very modestly and never say cuss words, and they're some of the meanest, most cantankerous, ungodly people I've ever met. What is this talking about? Because I do think the Bible is serious about holiness and sanctification. I do think that we are to be different. We are to be different. But how are we to be different? Do you know the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians? The growth in holiness, brothers and sisters, the thing about us being set apart, this growth is primarily seen in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Can you imagine how different a person who lives this way looks in this world? They look different. They look peculiar. 
They may dress just like you and I, but I'm telling you, they stand out. There's something different in a person who responds with love and joy and peace in the face of very difficult circumstances. There's something that looks very different in the person who is kind and good and gentle. When someone is faithful and full of self-control, we see there's something different about that person. What is it? Well, they're being made into the image of Jesus Christ. They have been set apart and are being sanctified by Jesus Christ. He, has, he, has, he is growing you as Christians, and he has, he has gifted you to grow. Look, this part of this being sanctified in Christ Jesus, if you look in verse 5, in every way you were enriched in him. God has given you this enriched in him. God's given you in him all speech and all knowledge. Look in verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. God is growing you and God has gifted you so that you will grow, so that you will grow as an individual and so that you can help other people grow spiritually as well. Why does God give gifts? Everyone has spiritual gifts. Why do you have the spiritual gifts that God has given you? To help other people grow. Misuse of these spiritual gifts are going to be a big part of what Paul corrects in this church. But he starts by reminding them God has given you spiritual gifts. They've been given to you by Christ. So friends, God has given us everything that we need to grow and to help others grow. So let me ask you this. You think about you for a second. Are you growing? Are you growing? Are, are you becoming more like Jesus Christ or do you just keep going to church? That's not the same thing as growing. Do you just keep reading your Bible? It's not the same thing as growing. Do you just keep looking weird compared to the world around you? That's not the same thing as growing. Are, are you becoming more loving and joyful and patient and kind and peaceful and good and faithful and self-controlled. Now look, I mean, it may be two steps forward and one step backward. We all grow at different rates and we move forward and fall back and move forward and fall back. But are you overall, in general, growing in Christ Jesus? And then secondly, are you helping other people grow? And before you just answer yes and ask me to move on to my next point, in your head, do you see faces? Who are you helping grow? Who are you helping grow? Who is becoming more like Jesus because you are involved in their life? Because the gifts that God has given you are being utilized in the life of someone else and they're growing as well. Brothers and sisters, this is an illustration um, that I've just been thinking on a whole lot lately. I, I, as Christians, I want you to be able to look, and I call it the wake of my life, right? Like a boat moves through water and there's a wake. I want you to be able to look in the wake of your life and see people who are following you as you follow Christ. I want you to see a wake of people who are being blessed because your boat has disturbed their water. I, my illustration is terrible. I have to think of a different one. Who are the people? Who are the names? Who are the people who are becoming more like Jesus Christ because of your, because you've used your gifts in their lives within a church, in the community? This is what we've been gifted to do, brothers and sisters. Paul says, I'm so thankful that God's grace to you through Jesus Christ is sanctifying you. Thirdly, Paul says, I thank God for the preserving grace of Jesus. Preserving grace of Jesus. What, what are you talking about there when it talks about being preserved? Look in verse 8. Paul says this, referring to the end of verse 7, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. I almost said the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ. We're in point number three now. Thank God for the preserving grace of Jesus Christ. I don't think any one of these four aspects, saving, sanctifying, preserving, and glorifying, I don't know that any one of them are, are better than the other, but I have been deeply blessed and encouraged 
by this one as I've studied this week. I think we need to park on something here for just a minute. Jesus' grace will sustain you to the end. I, I know that some of you feel right now, some of you have felt this way before, I have felt this way before, some of you right now wonder if you're going to make it. You actually wonder if your strength, your faith is real. You wonder if your faith is strong enough. You wonder if you can endure the physical hardships that you're going through, the relational hardships that you're going through, the financial hardships that you're going through. You're, you are actually wondering whether or not you are going to make it. Can I, can I make it? To the end. But brothers and sisters, that's not the right question. The question is not, can you make it to the end? The question is, will he keep you to the end? And he has promised that he will. He will, look in verse 8, I'm not making this up. He will sustain you to the end. If you are His, you will be sustained by His grace. The way that you came into the family of God was simply by throwing yourself on the good grace of Jesus Christ. And the way that you will make it is by the good grace of Jesus Christ. He is strong to save and He is strong to sustain you to the end. He doesn't say, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll give you some strength here and there. Sustain you to the end, to the end. He will sustain you to the end. Some of us need to write that backwards on our foreheads so when we look in the mirror, or whatever, mirror image, right? We look in the mirror in the morning and we're reminded, He will sustain me to the end. And for some of you, that might be the only takeaway, the primary takeaway from the sermon this morning. But brothers and sisters, if you are His, He will, He will sustain you to the end. You're not saved by your works and you are not sanctified by your works and you are not sustained by your works. You are sustained by the grace of Jesus. You are preserved by Him. He's the one who saves. He's the one who sanctifies. And often when we think about the idea of sustaining or making it or persevering, we think like, that's, that's on me. That one's on me. I got to keep myself in the faith. I got to keep my nose clean. I got to kind of cross my fingers and I hope I don't fall off the path. You were off the path. You were dead. You were an enemy. You weren't on the path. He didn't choose you because you were close. We were dead. He called us. We responded in, with faith in Him. Now He is sanctifying us and He is preserving us. I, I, love, I love preserves. I love preserves. Miss Norma gives my family preserves. Right? You're picturing what I'm talking about, right? Jam, jelly, those sorts of things. One of my kids the other day was making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and said, and had like a, the Welch's squeeze thing and saw Miss Nor a jar of Miss Norma's jelly in our fridge and was like, oh no, I'm using store-bought. I didn't know we had a jar of Miss Norma's. Now there are certain, apparently there are certain varieties that Tom does not allow her to share with other families that are reserved for Tom's private use. But we still, we, we, preserves are something that are, that are made to be kept and held on to for later. Preserves make, take something that wouldn't last and, and make it last. Listen, you wouldn't last. If it wasn't, don't kid yourself. If it wasn't for the preserving grace of Jesus Christ, no one would make it. No one would make it. No one's strong enough to preserve in their own strength. You wouldn't last. You wouldn't make it. But Jesus will make you last. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There are times where I, as a pastor, cling to verses like this. Yes, for my own soul, but for yours as well. Because sometimes I think, that rascal... I don't know how to get through his thick head that he's doing wrong and he needs to change his ways. And then I have to remember, God, he's yours. And you, you will sanctify him and you will 
preserve him. If he is yours, he will preserve you. Listen, the same guy who's writing to Corinthians, the church of Corinthians, starts his letter to the church at Philippi, and he says, I am sure of this. The eternal security of the believer is something that's debated amongst Christians. And some will say, you can lose your salvation, and others will say that you can't lose your salvation. And I would say this, if you are truly born again by the Spirit of God, you cannot lose what you did not earn in the first place. You were called. You are saved. You are sanctified. You are preserved. And, and this isn't like I took a verse, uh, an obscure verse out of context. In Corinthians, he's making a big deal out of, hey, he's going to sustain you to the end. In the book of Philippians, I am sure of this. I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you, did Jesus begin a good work in you? He who began a good work in you, he will preserve it. He will, I think, the, um, complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. He's got you. You'll make it. First Thessalonians chapter, uh, there's, there's more. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers and sisters, we were sinners. We get saved. We continue to struggle with the old man. We continue to struggle with sin. By the grace of God, those who are his will be sustained. They will be preserved. They will be kept. He will surely do it. And Paul says, I'm so thankful that God's grace to you is preserving you in Jesus Christ. And number four and finally, thank God for the glorifying grace of Jesus. Look at verses seven and eight. So that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse seven and the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse eight, on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ returns or when you die and are uh, united with him, do you know what? You know what? You are guiltless. Again, like if I was just making this stuff up, you could run me off. But it's right, like Paul wants the Corinthian believers who are a mess to remember, you will be kept guiltless upon the day of Jesus Christ. The gifts are given to help the church live appropriately until the time when they shall see face to face, one author says. So many songs about seeing him just as he is, about being whole and about being sinless. God has, God has promised to get us home. And, that, and, and on, on that day, you will be guiltless because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because the righteousness of Christ has been given to you and the punishment of your sin has been taken away and he bore it on the cross. That, that exchange takes place. That's why you're guiltless. And so Paul is giving thanks to God for these Corinthian believers because Jesus Christ has provided for them salvation and sanctification and preservation and glorification. You're going to make it across the finish line. You will be with him in eternity forever. Salvation takes place once in time here on this earth. Sanctification takes place over the course of our time here on this earth. Preservation is us being kept until the day that Christ returns. And on the day of Christ's return, the glorification will happen. Our old man will be completely done away with. We'll be, we'll be given uh, a new body and a new soul, a new, or a new spirit, I should say, a renewed spirit. And brothers and sisters, all of this, all of this, all of this is based on God's grace to us in Christ. Let your eyes look over the passage here real quick. Nine times Jesus Christ is mentioned. Look in verse one. Christ Jesus, verse 2, Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, Lord Jesus Christ, verse 4, Christ Jesus, verse 6, Christ, verse 7, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, Jesus Christ our Lord. You think Paul is emphasizing someone in this passage? The word, the name God is used six times in this passage. Look in verse 1, by the will of God, verse 2, the church of God, verse 3, grace to you from God, verse 4, I give thanks to my God. Uh, the grace of God, uh, verse 9, God is faithful. Paul is making a really big point. God is faithful, and he's given grace to you through the work, the life and death and resurrection of his son, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul isn't saying, hey, look at yourselves and be confident. 
Paul is saying, look at your Savior. Be confident. Let's give, let's give, let's give glory. All of this is based on God's grace to us in Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful. That's why all of this is such good news. The sure, one pastor writes, this sure trajectory is rooted in the faithfulness of God. Knowing the rest of the letter of 1 Corinthians, we should be surprised that the Corinthians are getting such a attaboy here in verses 1 through 9. But isn't that scandalously good news? See, because if we were really open and honest, and we're not going to tell anybody the kind of deep, dark, dirty secrets that are true about us, but what we actually need to know is that God can take absolute rascals who deserve punishment, turn them into saints, and then keep them to glory. That's what we need to know. And Paul reminds the Corinthians, this is true of you. I want to highlight just how good New, how good the gospel is by trying to use a, just a quick illustration, then I'll be done. Joining the military and becoming a Christian are very different endeavors. I want to highlight the, the good news of the gospel by comparing and contrasting here for just a second. When you join the military, you go to a recruiting office, and they say, well, okay, you can come here, and let's, let's see if you're good enough to make it. And they'll give you a series of physical examinations and mental examinations and eye examinations and that sort of thing. And, and if you're good enough, then they'll let you in. But then once they let you in, you've got a lot to learn in order to be useful, in order to be kept, right? You, you've you've got to work your tail off to get better. And the drill sergeant is not there to be your friend and put his arm around you, right? And rub your tummy when you don't feel good and help you get right. Like the drill sergeant is there to beat you down to see if maybe you can, if you're good enough to make it. And then um, yeah, once you're there in the military, it, it's up to you to kind of to, to keep up. And if you can't keep up, you're going to get dropped. And if you join the military and you go to the battlefield to fight, it's not even guaranteed that you're going to make it home again. So the saved, sanctified, preserved, glorified part of Christianity, like to be in the military, like it's just all about you. But brothers and sisters, when you come into the family of God, you are chosen, you are called, you are select, you are brought into the family of God. And your performance just pretty much stinks all the time. And so he begins to change you by his grace and sanctify you and make you more and more holy. Slowly but surely from the inside out, you become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And he's keeping you. Yes, bullets are flying and arrows are flying, but he's preserving you. And you will make it home. You will make it home. And Paul is reminding the people here at Corinth of how good this good news is. So when you're sad or depressed or lonely or anxious or sick or sinful, it's not silly to remind yourself of these things. This is not psychological self-talk, right? This is not an ugly person looking at themselves in the mirror and saying you're beautiful or me looking in the mirror and saying you have thick, luscious locks of hair, right? Like that, that's silly, nonsensical talk. But for me to look myself in the mirror and say you have been saved by the grace of God and you are being saved, you are being sanctified by the grace of God and you will be kept by the grace of God and you will be glorified by the grace of God. That's not hopeful, wishful thinking, psychological pop self-talk. That is absolutely true and that's what my feet need to stand on day after day after day. So when we think about salvation, sanctification, preservation, and ultimate glorification, so often we focus on ourselves, our decision, my faith, my obedience. Am I striving for holiness well enough? Paul doesn't want you to look at you. Paul wants you to look at Christ. In short, the basis for Paul's encouragement, our Kent Hughes writes, or excuse me, uh, Steve, Pastor Stephen Oom writes this. In short, the basis for Paul's encouragement to the Corinthian church is that their past, their present, and their future have been confirmed, declared, secured, enriched, and sustained in Christ. All of these realities of Paul's surprising encouragement are grounded in Christ. The Christian's identity is not self-made or self-maintained. It is the result of an outside action of God on our behalf. 
So is Paul employing the Oreo technique? I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's saying, hey, listen, I'm getting ready to give you a spanking, but before, man, look, thank God for what he has done for you in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I, as one of your pastors, thank God for what he is doing in you because of Jesus Christ. I am thankful that so many of you are saved and are being sanctified and are being preserved and will be glorified. Now, there are certainly, in a room this size, there are certainly some who don't know Christ as your Savior. And those promises, that foundation is not yours. So today, turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Call upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. And all of these promises are yours. And you can talk with me or Pastor Matt or Pastor Will after the service. There are a lot of people in this room who would be very happy to talk with you from God's word about that. But brothers and sisters, for the rest of us, here's my application for us this morning. I just want you to leave thanking God for that. This morning, I just want what Paul has laid out as the foundation for the Christian life to encourage you. I'm not asking you to go and do different today. You may need to. But in this sermon, I just want us to leave thanking God for this love that has come to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, as we go through this life, we, as we allow the word of God to shape us, let's constantly remind ourselves of who we are because of the grace of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ. God and Jesus Christ over and over and over in this passage. I'm going to ask the music team to come forward, and we're going to sing about God and Jesus Christ and the deep love that the Father has for us. We see in this passage the deep, deep love that the Father has for us, that he would give his son, Jesus Christ, to make wretches like us his treasure. Father, would you please use your word in our hearts and lives this morning to make us more like your son, Jesus. I pray that my brothers and sisters in here would be, would be secured. I, I pray that, that we would leave here this morning where we need to be convicted of sin. God, convict us of sin. Father, for those of us in here who need our identity reminder this morning, to, to, for us to remember who we are because of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen weary souls this morning. Now help us as we declare the good news of your love for us in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, and then Pastor Will will come and close us with a song.